We are so incredibly blessed at Eastside to have such spirit-given talent that uh, people use to honor the Lord. I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke this morning, Luke chapter 14, and I want to share some scripture there, and uh, we will look at a few other things, but I want to continue on the whole process, the whole idea of our God being bigger. I was raised uh, with a statement many of you heard along the way because I was a very desirous, desiring young man who wanted anything and everything. And uh, I, I mean, I can remember one of the things I wanted more than anything in the world was a motorcycle. Man, I wanted a motorcycle. And I'm not talking about a street bike. I wanted a, I mean, show enough, blowed out, motocross, whatever. My buddies had them. And, uh, man, I wanted them. And I'd keep on, I'd keep on. And, you know, that was the last, that was the last big shot that you would use against your parent. You know, after you tried the whole sweet thing and tried to bribe them that way, then you'd come from the negative and say, but all my friends have them. And I don't know about you, but I heard this statement more than once. You are old enough that you once won't hurt you. Y'all ever heard that? You're old enough you once won't, and my daddy didn't care. He just walked off. It did not intimidate him. If it did, if it bothered him, you never saw it. He just walked off, and that was the answer. The truth is, your wants will hurt you. The older we get, the more we understand that. In reality, it's just not true. Our wants distract us. They disable us. They rob us of the blessings from the Lord and literally kill us. I just got through re reading the Pentateuch, and I mean... Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, over and over and over and over, the wants of the Hebrew children killed them. It made them sick. It made them distraught. It made them worship idols. The wants of the people brought judgment on them. Here's the truth. People do what they want to do. We can make any excuse in the world. I hear it. Listen, I've been pastoring long enough. I have just about heard them all. And the one thing I can repetitively tell them, I am not the one you answer to. You know, people will say something foul in front of me and they'll be like, oh, I'm sorry, preacher. I'm like, I'm not the one you... Now, I don't like it, but it, I'm not the one you answer to. People do what they want to do. Well, preacher, I've been wanting to come to church, but fill in the blank. Yeah, I've been wanting to read my Bible through too, but. Yeah, I've been wanting to start in Sunday school, but. All kinds of things that get in our way, and it's the truth of it is, we can make every excuse we want to in the world, but you're going to do what you want 
to do. The question is, what do you want to do? Because God is bigger than our wants. In Luke 22, he said, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, not my will, not what I want, but your will, what you want, be done. Am I right? That is the key that unlocks the everlasting door of joy, comfort, peace, satisfaction, everything in our life when we come to more than lip service because when Jesus said it, he meant it. We can come in here and we can sing worthy as the lamb, we can sing victory in Jesus, we can sing all this stuff, but if it's not our wants being swallowed up in his, his will be done, then it's lip service and make no mistake about it, God looks on the heart. What do you want? What do you want out of life? One of my favorite things to do is ask when I meet young people, 11th grade, 12th grade, freshman, sophomore in college, I always ask, so what are you wanting to do? What do you want to do? What do you, and some will say, well, I want to go to this school. I want to play ball. I want to study this. I want, and then if they actually, a lot of them say, hmm. You know, they don't even conjugate. They just, hmm. I'm like, what is hmm? You know, actually, I know what that is because that's what I did. Because God had a calling on my life at 17. 17 years of age, God was calling me to a life of ministry. And I went as far and as fast as I could in the ways of the prodigal. There's no mistake when he said he went into a far country. I ran just as hard and as fast and ignorantly as anyone has ever run. And there had to be a point where I said, God, not my will, but your will be done. And so I want you to look with me in Luke 14, starting in verse 16. Speaking of Jesus, it says, Then he said to them, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. Do you understand today, before we go any further, that God sincerely desires that you sit at his table and eat of his spiritual nourishment that the world cannot rival. He is inviting you to come, believers, every day into an intimate, homegrown, home-cooked spiritual meal that the world can never touch. I've ate at some pretty good places around this world. One of my favorites still to this day is anything home-cooked in Jamaica unbelievable I mean I told Becky when we were down I said if if I ever was uh, uh, kicked out of America I'm going to Jamaica I can live here only downside there's no hunting because there's nothing to hunt but I can eat because it's wonderful 
but it's still not mama's table. I love Cajun food. And our favorite restaurant in the world is in Douglasville called Gumbo. It's unbelievable how good it is. And when we went for my mother's surgery the other day, we got to sneak off and go eat supper there. And it was so wonderful. But it's not sitting at my mother's table. There's a lot of things in this world that taste good, but it's not what it's like when we sit at the Lord's table. He said he bid many to come for all things are now ready. But listen to verse 18. But they all with one accord began to make excuse. The first said, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. They all made excuses. Now in rationalizing their situation, they were trying to justify their own wants. And what we do is we come to God and say, oh, and we play the spiritual card. We say, oh, God, oh, I would go and sing, but I just don't think I can do it that well. Oh, I would, I would go into Sunday school, but I just don't understand some of that stuff. Or I would teach, but, Lord, I just don't feel like I can grasp it. And Oh, I would help with the youth, and I'd help with the men, and I'd help with the women, but I don't want to lead. I, it kills me sometimes how many people have great ideas, but they won't do anything with them. Somebody has to be willing to step out of their comfort zone and say, God, here am I. Send me. We think we can buy God. Oh, I'm, I believe in missions, so we give. Yes, that's great. $20,000 to Lottie Moon is great. But listen, God called you not to just give. God can do whatever he wants with that money. He wants your faithfulness. To be a missionary in Claxton, to be a missionary on your job and in your school, to be a missionary that goes to Haiti, that goes to Europe, that goes all over the globe. Church, we cannot continue rationalizing our situation because of our carnal wants. Here's the danger of our wants today. Number one, you need to write this down because I'm going to tell you something. This is what's crippling, it's absolutely hamstringing the church of the living God today. Number one, the danger of our wants, we're distracted by the temporal. What does that even mean? We're distracted by things that pop up, the little things that do not last. Tell me the truth, those of you who are around my age and above. The things you used to love, the things that you were sold out for, you spent your money on, you collected, you went and did just don't seem to mean quite as much as it once did. It just, you know, we move from things to things. I was talking with Steve this morning, and everybody knows Steve loves to fish. And there's nothing wrong with that. And we were talking about going pretty soon. And he said, I said, uh, hey, in about a month, let's, let's try to get together. Let's, let's go fishing. I love to go with him. Because I guess I just love to watch people catch fish. Because you go with Steve, he's going to catch them. And make you look like you never... Well, I used to tournament fish. Man, I got into it one time. We talked about all this stuff. 
and, and I mean, I had to buy the biggest boat there was. I had a 20-foot Ranger, Mercury 200. I mean, I had, it was, it was jam up. They called it my honky-tonky speedboat. Uh, it, it was, you know, if I was going to get one, I had to have the biggest thing that I could get there the fast. Truth is, I think I just like going from hole to hole better than I did the fishing. But I mean, I bought everything. I read every fishing guide. I went, I had every map for every lake in Georgia, every lake in Alabama. I tournament fished. I, I did night tournaments. I pre-fished. I did all that stuff. God called me to the pastorate in October uh, as a senior pastor in October of 93 and I sold the boat in December. I don't miss it. I still love to fish. I just don't crave it like that. And it's not that it's bad. It's just my desires change. Our desires change. They're temporal things as we go through life. One thing it is, look at verse 18. The first one said, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go. Whose opinion was that? Was it God's opinion that he must go? No, it was his idea. Some things that we put at the top of our list is based on the tyranny of the urgent. The tyranny of the urgent. We see, we call it putting out fires. You ever had one of those days where it's not something huge, but it's little things, and little things keep popping up, and we, do all, we, we try to put out the little things, but we don't deal with the blazing inferno. Because the little things we can get here, we can get there, and it's the tyranny of the urgent little things that pop up that keep us from a real deep relationship with the Lord. Oh, well, I'll start reading my Bible today. Oh, and then you got this, and you got that, and this one's sick, and the washing machine's leaking, and car's low on oil, and blah, 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 blah. Tyranny of the urgent will rob you. And here it is. We know that Jesus was tempted three times, specifically in Matthew 4. And it deals with the categories of, of, of all sin falls in three major categories. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Well, when we're distracted by the temporal, it's the lust of the eyes. It's what we see that looks like our obstacle. Oh, well, I see this, I'll deal with this. Or we're riding down the road. Why do you think? They put and spend so much money on advertising. Why do you think they will spend a gazillion dollars on a 30-second ad during the Super Bowl? Because they know it's the most watched people, and we are a sight-driven generation. Every generation has been sight-driven because he said, we must walk by faith, not by sight. So when we look at things, we see things that we can look, we can reach out and say, I, I think I can have that. It becomes the tyranny, the urgent, and we'll work and we will strive and we will worry ourselves over these little temporal things that in eternity will not matter. We're distracted. We're distracted by them. One of the things that I wanted that kept me from being sold out to the Lord as that teenager was cars, trucks, hot rods, 
anything to do with that. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Unless it takes precedence over him. I know some very godly people that race. I know some very godly people that do things, but they have their priorities in order. They see it as what it is, temporal, and it takes a back seat to the Lord. Well, at that time, it didn't for me. It was, that, it was all or nothing to the point I said, I'll tell you what, God, we can meet in the middle. I started making deals. I said, I'll tell you what, God, I'll be a chaplain on the race course. They need chaplains. They need to hear about Jesus. I did my research on that, and that was for Google. I think it was for computers. God said, I don't make deals. And so, even after I'd surrendered at 19, two years later, two years of misery, might I add, if you're running from God, do yourself and everybody around you because you may not realize it, but most people around you already know God is dealing with your heart because it's just very obvious. When I finally surrendered to ministry, Everybody's like, well, it's about time. I'm like, what do you mean it's about time? We all knew God was trying to get your attention. Nobody goes through that much heartache as a born-again believer without God trying to get their attention. The Hebrew children spent 40 years God getting their attention. God took that away from me for decades. God has taken that because he would not allow the lust of the eyes. What we see. You see, what we see is not a faith. He said, blessed is he that has not seen, yet believed. For faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of, un, of that which is not seen. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Listen to me, church. When we become distracted by the temporal, the danger of our wants will overcome the victory that is Christ. Painful, but it's the truth. What is the temporary setting in your life that's costing you victory? Is it a relationship? Is it, you know, a job? Is it trying to get ahead? Whatever it is, stop it. Today, set your heart right now, even before the end of the message. I'm going to give it to God. Give it to God right now. You don't have to wait till an invitation. God is giving you the invitation. Surrender to God right now. Verse 19. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to test them. I ask you, have me excuse. Here's the pride of life. You see, the danger of our wants is not just distracted by the temporal. It's infatuation by the material. Now this, we're probably living in the most materialistic age ever in time it's things oh we want things I've told you this many times you can stick whatever you want into somebody's casket but they're never going to have it when you leave this world you'll leave it like you came into it and the only thing will matter is not what you have but who has you Amen? I mean, is this, is this triggering anything in our hearts? We, we're infatuated by the material. 
why in the world would anybody else, why, why would we follow such ungodliness in music and movies and everything else? And, we want, and, and then they have award shows and we will literally sit and watch them pat each other on the back, tell us how dumb we are and how we ought to be like them. I'm going to tell you something. Great, there's a reason why they called the greatest generation that. It's because they knew what a hard day's work was for a fair day's wage. They knew what it was like to grow up when there was absolutely nothing. Some of you young people think you don't have something because you're not wearing $150 pairs of Jordans because your mom and daddy's smart enough not to buy them. Or you don't have the, the most current cell phone or because you have a limit on your data. I feel your pain. My wife is the data Nazi. And she'll be like, I'm cutting y'all off. You had more text than the kids did combined. It's my job. Things. I like things. I I like things. It's all right to like things. I I got some cool things. I mean, I got several of my baseball boys here. I have, and I've told some of you, I have a custom made from the factory Louisville Slugger, black, with the gold writing on it. And it doesn't say Barry Bonds. It don't say Ken Griffey Jr. It don't say Mickey Mantle. It says Matt Christopher Brady, made at the Louisville Slugger plant. I love that. It's cool. I had Ethan one made. Got his name. I had his in silver because I didn't want it to keep up with mine. My mama gave me mine. But we went there. I had it made. That's, That's cool stuff. You know, it's cool stuff. I've got an olive wood carving of the Lord's Supper that I bought in Bethlehem. That's pretty cool stuff, wouldn't you say? I mean, that's kind of a neat deal. But it's just things. You ever thought, what if my, what if my house burns down? Some of you it may have. What about if a tornado hit? Stuff scattered everywhere. Becky and I have got hooked on this live PD TV show. And they were showing a thing the other night that firemen went and this lady minister's house burnt. And she said, oh, if you could just get my Bible. Well, number one, I was blown away by that. But when they got it out, one of the firefighters said, let's see what it's open to. And literally it shows on, it's, it's, it's ruined. As far as a book is concerned, it's ruined. But they peeled this burnt, I mean, the cover's burnt off of it. It's charred, it's nasty. He peels it open. He doesn't tell you the verse, but you'll all know it. He peels it open. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord, for good and not evil. 
Church, it's not about wants. It's not about things. And hear this. I wrote this down this morning. Money is not evil. It's the want that corrupts. It's when you work so much that you neglect your home. It's when you steal from God and you do not tithe. It's when you're trying to get ahead. What does that even mean? Is there, you know, that's like the age of accountability. It's a mis- not There's no such thing. What is, oh, I don't want to be rich. I just, I just want to get ahead. What is, where is that stat? Is the IRS, is that somewhere in that code of IRS stuff? No, I don't think so. You'll never reach that point. But you will reach the point of satisfaction when you put away the idea of things that's popular. It's not just the, the inanimate things. It's popularity. Oh, if, if they will just like me. Oh, the lives that have been surrendered on the altar of popularity. It does not matter what other people think about you. What matters is your character is what you do when you nobody is looking. Who you are when you lay down at night. Is the Lord satisfied with me? And I've got news for you. Look at me now. You'll lose friends. You'll lose influence when you seek God and His kingdom. But He said, I will add all these things unto you. He'll give you better friends, real friends, who are faithful in a crunch. Those who are faithful during the hard times. The scripture tells us that. It's not about popularity. It's not about power. Some people are willing to sacrifice it all for power. Political power. Financial power. Community power. We'll do whatever it takes. It is being infatuated by the materials. Pride of life. Oh, look at me. Look at me. And then... Verse 20, still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. He didn't even say, beg me, be excused. He just says, I got a wife, I'm not coming. Now don't take this the wrong way. This is the lust of the flesh. This is the want of physical desire. And here is a, and I'm going to come right down here because this is down here even with me and everybody else. You can love your wife too much. I know that sounds dangerous. We're starting a marriage thing again, but here in the context, I'm talking about in the unspiritual manner. When you love your wife instead of loving God, then you've loved her too much. You've loved her with that earthly, worldly type love. Where you love your children. And I've heard mothers say, I love my children more than life. The Bible's very clear. You can read it for yourself. Ephesians says, 
how a man ought to love his wife, how a wife should love her husband, how they should love their kids, how the kids should love their parents, how they should honor, how a master is to treat their servants and how servants to treat their master. Very clear lines of communication and order. But hear me now. When you put your children before the Lord, they're an idol. When you put your husband, your wife before the Lord, they're an idol. God said, let there be no idols before me. Now the Bible says that we ought to love her as Christ loved the church. And get, that's the spiritual kind of love. But what happens in our life, and it's not just with our family. You see, we have this lust of the flesh, that which feeds us, that which we, we crave pleasure. That's, we want to go on vacation all the time. And I'm going to tell you something. We got it backwards. I believe this. We got it so backwards. We ought to work two days and be off five. And if everybody do it, it'd work out. It's my philosophy on things. But God cursed us because of our sin. It's not about pleasure. Have you ever seen that person that you went to high school with and you, you played with, you partied with? Paul said, when I was a kid, I acted like a kid and I did childish things, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Have you ever seen that person you grew up with that they still refuse to grow up? They're, I mean, you look at them, you're like, dude, man, you're 45 years old. Now, you don't have to act like you're dead, but act your age. Grow up. We're not 17 anymore. We can't do the things we used to do anymore. But we ought not want to do some of those things. Amen? I'm going to tell you something. I have reaped out of gardens I wished I would not have sown. You know what I'm talking about. Grow up. Seek that which is above. That which matters. Stop craving the pleasure of the things of this world that will not in eternity matter. Matter of fact, they are polluting your spirit from what God wants in your life. What is your idol? What is the thing you crave? The, the pleasure of life. What is the secret sin that Maybe it's just on vacation when nobody else is looking that you do, but understand God is. You can't leave God in Claxton when you go to the mountains or to the beach. God, if you're a believer, is going with you. What is it that you're willing to die and go to hell because you're not willing to give up? The rich young ruler craved all this, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life, and he's standing looking into the face of the Savior of the world, and he turned and walked away and refused grace because he had things that he was not willing to give up. That's the danger, church. That's the danger of our wants. But hear me today, I want you to turn very quickly to Isaiah 58. 
Isaiah 58. And this is where the whole sermon was birthed in my heart out of. And I want you to really, really look at this with me for just a minute. This has been near and dear to my heart for over a decade now. I spent two years researching this one context. I've read at least 40 monographs just about this text. I wrote a book about this text. God showed it to me in a fresh light even on this week. As we've looked at the dangers of the wants, I want you to see with me very briefly the blessings of a spiritual desire. He tells Isaiah to tell the people, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Isaiah 58. Tell my people their transgression in the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and they delight to know my ways. It all sounds good. As a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. If you want to put it in context, they were church going, Bible reading, tithe giving church members. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen, God? Why have we afflicted our soul and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure, God says, and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day. To make your voice heard on high. He literally says, you're fasting for your own fleshly desire. It's all about you. It's what you think you can get by what you give up. It's not about me. It's all about being fulfilled in your flesh and what you see and what you touch and your sensuality. He said, you've missed the point. He said in verse 5, Is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Now, it's very unique. The word fast is a a, a singular word that in the Hebrew literally means afflict one's soul. In Leviticus, the first place that we see God ordering a fast, He is ordering it for the people for a full day in preparation for the Day of Atonement. He does not use the word fast in Leviticus 16 or 17. He says it is a day that one will afflict their soul. It literally did not, it literally means do not eat, but also nothing else that would pleasure our physical senses. It was about setting aside the temporal for the eternal, putting away the world that we must see Christ. And so he says, is this not the fast that I have chosen, verse 6? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, as you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh? 
Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. And your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. And you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, Here am I. I want to give you three very quick things that are blessings of spiritual desire. Number one, self-denial allows for a hunger for God. Do you literally hunger for God? He tells us in Matthew 5, 6, that blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Is your spiritual hunger greater than your Physical hunger. Are you seeking those things which are above rather than things below? Have you surrendered the shallowness of the temporal and the tyranny of the urgent that you may lay hold on that which is eternal? And as Paul, you said, I have not yet fully apprehended, but one thing I do, I press toward the prize for the mark of the high calling, which is in Christ Jesus. Keep on keeping on. Hungering after Him. It's a spiritual walk that understands the heart of God. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His love, to coin that verse from that great hymn, there will be an intimacy in our fellowship with the Lord. To know Him and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His suffering. That is intimacy to really, really, really know someone. Do you know Christ like that? Are you in a place that your spiritual walk has driven you to understand the very heart of God? It increases our faith. We, we, we stop looking at the temple. We stop grasping for that which is material. And we want what God wants when we give up. Things that our heart be swallowed up in His. As Billy Graham and many others have said, Lord, break our heart for those things which breaks yours. And then a daily dedication depends on help by God. The greatest thing you can do daily is understand you can do nothing without Him. Tell me, do you tell yourself to breathe? No. You just get up breathing. And you continue through the day breathing. You ever stop and say, you know what, God's giving me breath. Yes, we may stop and pause and bow our head over a plate of food, but do we ever stop and say, God, thank you for everything. And then start naming some of it. Because you'll never get to it all. If you start thanking Him, it will be from now throughout all eternity. Church, a daily dedication depends on help by God. Paul said it's a spiritual warfare. But when we put on the whole armor of God and we depend on His help, that He is the captain of our salvation, first of all, it will overcome our flesh. We will die to self that He may live through us. It clears our mind so that there, that battlefield that Satan is trying to defeat us, we have clarity. We see God's will. We follow God's will in our mind. It centers our will in His 
It's so much easier to give those things up when we know God's on our side and he's fighting the battle for us. I've told you many times, Caleb is my Old Testament hero. Caleb was not scared when he was 40. He was not scared when he was 85. He said, Joshua, make no mistake about it. Son, I may have grown older, but so have you. But do not confuse age for weakness. For my eyes have not diminished and my strength does not fail. I will take the land that my God has given me. Now, when we get that spiritual attitude, not out of arrogance, but out of obedience, knowing God is greater and there's a place that God wants us, then we'll go boldly and God will give us victory. Center our will in His. All the disciples left Jesus and they saw a defeated Messiah. Can I tell you in the heartache and the weight of the sin of the world, when Jesus said it is finished, I can't help but believe that he had a little smile on his face knowing that he was defeating Satan and all of his angels and the victory would come through him for all eternity. Church, we are victors through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He overcomes through us. And it strengthens our spirit. Are you just broken down? That old invitation says, are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Give it to Jesus alone. I want to ask you as they come to the instruments. Is your wants killing you? Are your wants hurting you? Now, Hear me, this is very vital time. I please, I beg you. All focus on doing what God wants. No one leaving and all of the things that can distract us, putting stuff up. I want you to do business with God right now. I want you to ask yourself. They said, with what excuse we cannot come to the banquet? What is your excuse for continuing to chase your wants and not His will? What is getting in the way? What is so important that it's costing you the victory that Jesus paid for? It's just temporal. It's just things. It's just fleshly desire. And all it'll do, those three things will kill you. But Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Maybe you need to come today and say, Lord, refocus me. May I die to self today. May my wants be swallowed up in yours. Lord, the only way I know to pray is I want you. I want you. If that's your desire, you're lost. You know if you died today, there's no hope. You know you'll die and go to hell. You need to come. Just take me by the hand and say, I want Jesus. I'll talk with you. You're saved, but... Your marriage, your relationship, your job, whatever in your life is not what it should be. Maybe you need to refocus today. Get your eyes back on Him. What He wants for you. Maybe you're not really sure. You just need to come and say, God, what do you want? God will give you an answer. Stand and come. Stand and come.